This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is The October Project. The October Project features award-winning composer Emile Adler, internationally acclaimed poet, lyricist Julie Flanders, and transcendent lead vocalist Marina Balika. Powered by Flanders' words, Adler's music, and the group's trademark harmonies The October Project has enjoyed sustained popularity and longevity around the world through the timeless impact of its material and powerful artistry of its vocals. They have sold over half a million records with headline tours throughout the country and songs featured widely on television, radio, and film. With Sounds True, the October Project has released a new album called The Book of Rounds. 21 Songs of Grace. In this podcast, the October Project and I spoke about singing in rounds and the intricacies of the music, the harmonies, and how the entire experience can be likened to enjoying the elegance and precision of a Japanese tea ceremony. We talked about the raw power of the human voice, and particularly the power of a cappella singing the history of the October Project, and how the music of the Book of Rounds creates a journey of release and surrender through the challenges of life. We also listened to four different tracks from the new record by the October Project, The Book of Rounds, 21 Songs of Grace. Here's my conversation with the October Project. Welcome, The October Project, to Insights at the Edge. To begin with, I wonder if you could each introduce yourself and talk about your contribution as part of The October Project. Okay, I'll start. I'm Julie Flanders, and I am the writer for October Project, meaning the lyricist. I I work with the words and the energy and the concepts of the band, and I'm somewhat the sort of the creative muse of the band. Hi there. Uh, I'm Emil Adler. I'm the composer um, and the engineer and uh, the producer. I I help make the records as well as uh, music direct when we play out uh, in live venues. Hi, I'm Marina Balika, and I'm the lead singer. And one thing Julie left out from her introduction is she also sings. Um, we sing in close harmony. And um, in my sort of new uh, venture here with the Book of Rounds, I'm also working in a producing capacity. Now, the three of you have known each other since you were teenagers, and here you are still together. You told me that right now as we're talking, you're gathered around a glass table in New York City. How is it that several decades, a couple decades later, you're together as friends and performing together? Tell me a little bit about that story. This is Julie, and I met Emma when I was 14 and Marina when I was 17. So we hold, not only do we hold together a tremendous amount of love, but we also hold together a tremendous amount of history and very specific and ordinary experiences that bind us and bond us together, as well as extraordinary experiences. And um, I love to think of it as the fact that we are constantly practicing harmony and frictive moments in harmony are very exciting and they seek resolution. So we live that in our relationship together as friends and also um, hopefully bring that to and through the music where we can live in a lot of simplicity with each other or we learn to tolerate and make something beautiful out of complexity. 
Now, were you singing together when you were teenagers? I mean, have you been singing together this whole time? We, we actually, Julie and I first became friends at, at Yale, which is where the Book of Rounds was produced and conceived. Um, but we, we both came together as freshmen on our first, our first day, and it turned out that we had both been quite serious about the study of piano. So we began as musicians. And I developed, um, this is Marina speaking, I developed um, a, a keener interest in vocal singing at Yale where I directed an a cappella group. Um, Julie was also uh, always writing songs with Emil along the way, and then in our senior year, we wound up doing a, our first uh, evening of music together. Now, in the mid-1990s, the October Project was rather well-known for high-quality pop music. Tell our listeners a little bit about the journey from creating high-quality pop music to now the Book of Rounds, 21 Songs of Grace. Well, it's, a, it's really quite an extraordinary journey, and um, I find this project to be one of the most personal and um, powerful bridges in my life. Um, so our, our group together in the 1990s, as, as you just mentioned, was somewhat influential because we were bringing spiritually themed and very literary pop with, you know, very rich and beautiful arrangements into what ended up being a pretty mainstream audience. We never knew that would happen. We were just making the music that we cared about and thought people would care about. And suddenly it just lifted up. It had wings. And um, the music industry began its changes and transitions, which are still going on around that time. And um, music that was sung by women at that time was not exactly embraced by the marketplace. So we ended up touring with Sarah McLaughlin, and that ended up uh, resulting in a sort of a beautiful surge of women supporting each other in music that was called Lilith Fair. Mm -hmm. Um, And then our label summarily dropped us. So we got to experience, you know, flying in, in some elevated air for a while, and then, boom, landing rather abruptly, um, which led us into independent music. And I think independent music led us to and through the idea that we no longer had to uh, work with the idea of marketing first. We could work spirit first again. Mm -hmm. And um, so the Book of Rounds uh, was a bridge of all of our interests, but for me it's also bringing together my work as um, a healer and a spiritual teacher helping people to gather and hold messages that empower them um, in a way that's aesthetic and beautiful and easy to receive and joyous to participate in. And then Emil and Marina each, I'll let them speak to this, um, added their elements in in ways that are really meaningful to them. So we also collaborated pretty strongly into the project. You know, it's, um, as Marina already mentioned, the three of us were classically trained. They're classical level, um, a concert level pianists, the, uh, Marina and Julie are. And uh, I, I have a, an advanced degree in music composition. So really the question is, how did we ever make a pop album in the 90s or a couple of them? And not so much, you know, what is the odd transition to the Book of Rounds? The, the Book of Rounds is... Uh, is uh, more of an expression of who we are, uh, who we began as musically, possibly more so than the uh, than the pop album was. So it's it's not it's not that great a shift. It's certainly uh, the kind of music that I know Marina did uh, when she was at school. She'll speak to that. Well, actually, I, I wanted to su- suggest just um, as Emil was saying that the Book of Rounds is really very clearly an expression of who. We are as a group, and who uh, Julie and Emil are as writers. I can say that they have always written music that would soothe the savage beast, and the Book of Rounds now is is written with the very intention of soothing and inducing a meditative and relaxing experience, not only for the listener and for the and, but for the singer as well. So I feel like for me, I can see I can see the easy progression from the kind of music they've always written to what these rounds are. And and interestingly, because people have asked me, you know, they experience the book of rounds when they listen to it and say it's not like other meditation music. And part of that is that you know 
in, in conceiving of how a Western person meditates, um, these are somewhat epiphanal or rapturous at times, but we felt that sometimes music allows a sort of freedom from noise that then points to a deeper silence and that music can be a way to quiet what's already there. And so that's always been in our work. And, you know, just to speak to the pop um, versus or in concert with uh, Book of Rounds sort of self-expression, we, we have another album that we were creating and have been creating at the same time that's coming out also in 2016, which is called The Ghost of Childhood, and that would be our pop album. And when you hear the Book of Rounds and that album side by side, some of the rapturous or meditative elements of transducing energies that might have been destructive into energies that become expressive and um, conducive to change or transformation are in both albums. Um, just somewhat differently presented, but sort of uh, similarly conceived and rendered. Well, now, when you talk about soothing the savage beast, I think that we need to put this on right away. So let's play the first track from the Book of Rounds. It's a song called Grace. This is the first of the 21 songs of grace, grace itself. Now in this moment it's time to start over Open your heart, you know there's nothing to forgive Starting now in this moment it's time to start over Wow. Thank you. Now, Julie, these songs were originally created for your son. You wrote these for your son when he was going through a, a difficult time. Can you tell us a little bit about that, the origin of the lyrics? Yes. You know, um, of course, meeting my son now, he's just such a different person than at the inception of this piece. But he had been going through knock and tumble New York City public schools and He's just a really extraordinary person, and um, the rounds occurred because we had had to change schools a few times because there was a lot going on in the situations he ended up in, and he ended up in this miracle of a school, and the first place uh, they put him in after-school programs was in this choir, and the choir was a group of children who were in... Um, sixth grade together, and we went to see him 
with this little community of children, and the teacher had them singing around. And they came out and surrounded the audience with their little voices, cascading over one another, and just my, my son being accepted and embraced in this group of children who were so loving and kind like he is. And um, the song that they sang, just I said to my husband, I'd, I'd never, you know, Emil, I'd never experienced anything like that, just the purity and innocence of those voices colliding and cascading into something so beautiful. And I said, I think we should make it our spiritual and creative practice to write rounds that have that kind of innocence and purity and protection and redemption in them. Mm-hmm. And that's how it started. We started writing the songs for Julian um, for, for times when he couldn't be with us, but we could just imagine the embrace of that kind of music and love holding him. And then we realized that, you know, that's, that's something everybody needs and everybody should receive is, is that kind of... Um, Lullaby, embrace, protection, forgiveness, unconditional acceptance by other human beings. Now, tell me a little bit about what a round is in music. There's some type of technical definition of what makes something a round. Hi there, it's Emil. Um, They've thrown the question to me for some reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, A round is simply a melody that is capable of harmonizing with itself upon the uh, the melody re-entering at, at a certain point. You know, we've all sung rounds like Frere Jacques and... Uh, row, row, row your boat. Row, row, row your boat, three blind mice, things like that. And um, when we thought of rounds, Julie and I, uh, you know, having seen our song sing them years ago, I, we, we realized we had never written a round before, and that uh, we really weren't aware of any rounds that had been written, although with a little research afterwards we found out that, in fact, some songwriters and composers have actually devoted a a fair amount of attention and love to to writing rounds. And so um, there, you know, not to get too technical about it, but I've discovered that there there are two types of rounds. There's a round that is an entire melody, you know, several phrases, and uh, it's sung in its entirety, and upon its repetition, a counter-melody is then sung, and then upon the repetition of those two things, a third melody is sung against them, and that's a little different than the Frere Jacques kind of rounds, which are basically a single tune, where in the middle of the tune, another, another part begins, and so... Uh, in the 21 rounds, there are versions of both types uh, of rounds, and the uh, former type is um, a little more complicated, so it appears in the in the later chapters as as the music gets a little more challenging. Hi, this is Marina. What I was going to say as a singer, what's so fun about rounds is that everyone gets to be the lead singer. There's one melody, and everyone gets to sing it. And that harmony happens by itself, because... One person starts, and then a little bit later, another person starts on the same melody, and it's the intersection of those two melodies that creates the harmony. And then the third thing that's so fun about it is that it requires collaboration. A round doesn't exist without two people participating. You know, it's sort of like, what is the sound of one hand clapping? You know, a round sung by one person is just a beautiful melody, which, by the way, I can say this since I haven't written them, that Emil has written some absolutely gorgeous melodies to which Julie has written such inspired lyrics. But, you know, it does require collaboration. And so rounds kind of invite community and bringing distinctive voices together into resonance. So they're, you know, from the singer standpoint, they are, they're magical. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say somebody's listening and they're thinking, I want to write a round. I want to write a round, you know, right now. Can you give them some instructions? I mean, just like people like to learn about haikus, and before you know it, you know, people are writing their own haikus. How would someone go about writing a round? Well, the best way probably is to take a model, you know, a round you already know, and uh, look at it carefully. I mean, once again, for fear of getting too technical, there are certain uh, intervals in music that sound consonant together and other intervals that are less so. 
And so there, if you know a little bit of musical theory, there is a, there are some tricks to making uh, rounds sound uh, good when they uh, are coinciding, you know, with themselves at a certain point. I mean, here we go. Um, Doesn't sound as easy as writing a haiku, I've got to say. It's getting complicated here. Might not be that easy, huh? They're deceptive yeah. in their simplicity. They are not easy to write. Amel, Amel, They're okay. easy to but hard to write. That's, That's right. kind of what it is. It's almost as if the simplicity... You know how um, there are uh, calligraphists in Asian languages and they'll spend all day creating one glyph or hieroglyphic sort of <laughs> representation? It's almost like a Japanese tea ceremony in the creation. And um, the simplicity, for us as writers, the simplicity and the technicality of it was part of the discipline of the everyday nature of creating the piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're giving me a greater appreciation of what has gone into each one of these 21 songs. Yes, each song was a meditation thematically and in terms of intentionality, and then in terms of you know, what it requires technically, it, it was really like creating a very tiny little service. You know, it, it, I guess a Japanese tea ceremony would be a great analogy because it appears quite simple. You gather to drink the tea, and it's keeping the awareness into the tea that creates pleasure and delight, and anyone can drink the tea. But the ceremony might require, you know, many lifetimes of preparation. And gestures, and yeah. Yeah, and commitments. And but, so it's, it's kind of like there's a lot of commitment in the round. Mm-hmm not only in the music, but also in the, the writing of the lyrics, in her choice of words and the way that they would intersect with other words. I mean, the level of detail is, is so much more than anyone would ever imagine. It's, it, as she says, it's like a Japanese tea ceremony. The, the gestures, the tiny gestures that need to be incorporated are so many. But we wanted for the listener for it to just be pleasurable. So it's just like drinking a cup of tea or having something delicious. And a lot of effort went into its preparation, but we wanted for, for it to be received and, and experienced with ease. It doesn't require anything to listen except awareness. But, of course, awareness is its own simple complexity, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I know the record is divided into these three different chapters, and the first song that we heard, Grace, was from the first chapter, and you describe the rounds in the first chapter as pure simplicity. And then we move to the second chapter, where the next seven set of rounds are presented, and you describe these as more adventurous. So we're going to hear something in just a few moments from the second chapter. Tell us what you mean by more adventurous. What's the change from the first chapter to the second chapter? I think the change is probably best described musically because it's a it's it's really in the harmonic language. In other words, the uh, the first set of rounds, um, you know, as I was explaining before, they they have simple relationships to one another, and as we moved on, they become a little more complex, a little more dissonant. We're we're, we're playing with rubbing, you know, notes that rub against each other a little more. We're playing with time signatures that are unusual. Um, and those time signatures, and this was a great discovery for me, um, uh, just, you know, a quick music theory lesson here. You know, we're used to listening to things that have four beats or three beats, let's say, if it's a, if it's a waltz. You know, those things are very common for us to listen to. But if something has something like five beats or seven beats, you get the sense that either something has been added or something is missing. And so as a result of that, um, your analytical brain begins to turn off. You know, you stop waiting for something to happen that you expect will happen, and you let go because it's not what you expect. And so the analytical part of the brain turns off, and you just float in the, in the land of five or the land of seven. And I know that's a very technical way of uh, explaining it, but that's what we mean by a little more adventurous. And I, I don't know if it's true that the lyrics do that as well, but let me throw that to Jewel. 
Well, you know, when we, we decided to expand the piece, which, by the way, we decided because of Sounds True and we were trying to give a more substantial experience that would be sort of each song a meditation and then the piece as a whole being a, a more extended sort of experience for people. Um, one of the things we thought about is that though we were exploring and offering innocence we were also not wanting to do kind of spiritual bypass. We were trying to keep um, some of the darker threads of what people actually have to go through present. And um, so some of that had to do with what do you do when you hit shadow or shadows in your life? What if there's a crisis? What if there's a loss? And we were threading that through lyrically and and musically, and if you think about grace as being almost like the fool card in the tarot of, of being able to start again at any moment, we wanted that to anchor and hold the rest of the piece, meaning every piece and every song, every round is a moment to start over, but each with a particular aspect of human experience. And so as those experiences grow and resonate, you know, um, we thought they should culminate in um, perhaps in surrender at the end of the piece, you know, where we accept everything of ourselves and are ready for that experience, which then leads back to grace. But in the middle, there are some complexities, and they have to do with loss. They have to do with shadow. They have to do with what we move through and go through and yearn for and find difficult to live without. I'd love our listeners to hear a track from this more adventurous second chapter. What do you suggest we hear? Well, it's Marina. Um, Emma was speaking about the, uh, the wonder of living in the land of five. And so what we've chosen from chapter two is a song called Meadow, which lives in that land.
again, total wow. That was so beautiful. <laughs> and I could feel, I think, a little bit of what you meant by more complexity and quote unquote, some of the darkness as well. And I'm curious about that in terms of harmony and creating harmony through these rounds, but also that edge, if you will, of something that feels dissonant and then gets dissolved into harmony and, and how that all works for you. Well, what's interesting about these rounds is, you know, they were written as single line melodies that could be sung quite simply in the manner we were describing before, or just two voices singing with each other. But along the way, we, we uh, developed them into something quite sophisticated, as such as what you just heard, which is Meadow. And that was arranged by Keiji Ishiguri. He's a very talented arranger, also a Yale alumnus. Um, and what Julie was saying before, part of the, um, one of the aspects of harmony is that can, it can be frictive or it can be consonant. And I think you find both of those quality in this particular qualities in this particular arrangement. Now, this frictive—that's interesting. That's not a word that's part of my vocabulary. Is that a, a musical term? Well, it's kind of like the thing of two sticks rubbing together to make a spark. It's like the friction of of things rubbing until something extraordinary happens. You know, and and. I think that's a lot of what life is. We rub up against life, and sometimes it isn't comfortable. But often our greatest learning, our greatest experience comes from, you know, um, situations that have pain in them or loss in them or, you know, we, we are timeless beings in a very temporal form. So a lot of this piece is about what time does to us, what loss does to us, this constant and long goodbye that we are engaged in, and to keep joy through it, to keep optimism and start over again the next day or the next minute, the next second. And, you know, the piece is an invitation to stay in life and not to retract from it, but to, to raise your voice, to open your throat, to breathe and to make sound. That's, that's kind of it. And, and through that sound, I mean, sound and silence are both such a deep expression of the universe. It's, it's, it is the contraction of the universe. If we are vibrational and the universe is, you know, the pluck of a string or it's vibrational reality and a silence, they come in as twins. It's the first duality. You know, it's Marina, to, to that I'll add, I've been reading um, at Julie's uh, suggestion, she bought uh, as a gift for my daughter, The Chronicles of Narnia. And in the first book, C.S. Lewis describes the creation of the world um, through the main character, Aslan, as being the world is sung into being. And I, I find it one of the most beautiful passages I have ever read in any literature anywhere. And that made perfect sense to me. It was also beautiful how in that Peace Meadow, there were those moments, those beats, if you will, of silence, those pauses. I thought that was tremendous. Yes, and you know, when you realize that in the first two chapters you are hearing nothing but human voices, it is the only instrument is breath and sound and soul. We sometimes get blown away. We forget, even in our own listening to the piece, that there's nothing there but human beings. There's not, I mean, in the third chapter we add a piano, but up until then you're just hearing people colliding with each other and making a beautiful noise, and, and we find it extraordinary. Yeah, rounds lend themselves to a cappella singing, you know? I mean, if you think of all the classic rounds, people just gather around a dinner table or, you know, and start singing, and, you know, it's, uh, they're a perfect vehicle to be rendered simply by the human voice. Now, you decided to record the Book of Rounds at Yale University. You went back to Yale and worked with musical voices of Yale University students. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we realized was that we, you know, music in the marketplace is often only marketed to people by way of their age. And we feel that, you know, it's, it's very, it moves across a generation and includes all of us and that, um, that we wanted to create a piece that included people who were young and people who could bring their full gifts while being mentored. And so that was sort of the intentionality of that, was to have an intergenerational musical expression. And now, of course, I'm imagining 
when I think of people singing the Book of Rounds and the recording project, that you're somehow in a circle itself, that the singers are in a circle. Is that true? Is there some kind of circle happening here? Well, you're, you're, you're so astute, you, Tammy, ah. because, you know, we, we've been actually um, in conversation with uh, several very uh, esteemed choirs, and one of the things we've been talking about the most is how it would be best rendered if the choir could surround the audience, because it is a circle, and the experience of being um, surrounded by that experience and the sound is something very very much suggested by the music. Um, I, I can say that in the recording of it, it was all sort of not, not quite as um, poetic as that, but the idea of singing it in the circle is absolutely the way we hope for and intend in live performance. Yes, I mean, we really built circles into every aspect and intertwining circles, which you take two circles, you put them together, you get an infinity symbol. And and Emil came up with the most beautiful idea, which is imagining everyone in a planetarium looking back and up to a skylight of, you know, just sort of cosmic beauty while hearing that a circle of sound around them. We thought that would be our ultimate venue. It's just everyone is sort of this, looking up to the stars while having being surrounded by singers and just hearing the voices, you know, whether we're in Red Rocks or we're, you know, enclosed in the New York City planetarium. That's kind of our idea. Now, you mentioned something that I really picked up on, which is how the Book of Rounds takes us through time and loss and helps us connect to the joy that can be there underneath it all. And I want to play one of the tracks from the Book of Rounds that's part of the third chapter, what you call the actively engaging part of the Book of Rounds. And it's a a song that's called Joy. But I wonder before we listen to it, if you can say a little bit more about that idea, how we can stay connected to joy, even when our hearts are breaking, perhaps, with whatever might be happening in our life. Yes, in fact, you know, maybe even especially when our hearts are breaking that we, you know, I, I've always felt that that grief and joy, you know, you those are somewhat extremes of human capacity to feel and that they're, they're so deeply connected. I, I remember once meeting a woman, and I, I think she paid me a great compliment because um, she, she said to me after a few moments, she said, you know, oh, I could never go to a funeral with you. We would just crack up. And I thought that was the most, the strangest thing in the world. But she herself had gone through a great deal of grief in her life, and she realized that, that laughter was the antidote, that it was the greatest self. Um, for joy, joy is really about, about not having to have a reason to be joyful, not having to have it match a circumstance, but having it just be the natural state we, we arrive in and we depart in and that, we cavort in, and um, I actually wrote that for Marina's children. She has nine-year-old twins who are just, you know, one of her children is a great gymnast and can do flips in the air, and the other is a great singer and being Serena. And, you know, for the two of them, I just thought, you know, they are creatures of amazing happiness and amazing activity. And um, I thought, what what would a child love to hear? What would a child enjoy? And slapping their hands together, making noise, doing all the things you're forbidden to do in school, and just having a hullabaloo. And, and I felt that was a great reminder for adults, too. There's just something about the clapping and the snapping and the clicking noises which the body can make, you know. Marina, do you have anything to say to that? Because you're you're a very joyful creature, too. Oh, well, no, with the clapping and the snapping and the stomping, I, isn't there an African language that's Spoken that way? <laughs> yes, the clicking language. You know, we, we, we would have recorded it in that if we had spoken it fluently. And I even have to say that as we are here, for some reason my dog, who's like 12 years old, has suddenly decided to turn into a puppy, and she keeps carrying her toy through the room as we do this interview and just keeps trying to let us know how joyful she is despite the fact that we're doing this, you know, metaphysical interview. She is bringing her big, you know, joyful self, her big (laughs) puppy teddy bear into the room and saying, look at me. All right, let's hear the song Joy from the Book of Rounds, 21 Songs of Grace from the October Project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Dance in a circle. Dance in a circle. Dance in a circle, clapping our hands. Life is a cartwheel. Life is a handstand. For no reason, amazing happiness. For no reason, crazy with joy. Crazy with joy. Dance in a circle, clapping our hands. Life is a cartwheel. Life is a handstand. For no reason, amazing happiness. For no reason, crazy with joy. Dance in a circle, clapping our hands. Life is a cartwheel. Life is a handstand. For no reason, amazing happiness. For no reason, crazy with joy. For no reason, crazy with joy. In a circle, clapping our hands. Life is a cartwheel. Life is a handstand. For no reason, amazing happiness. For no reason, crazy with joy. Dance in a circle. Dance in a circle, clapping our hands. Life is a cartwheel. Life is a handstand. For no reason, amazing happiness. For no reason, crazy. Dance in a circle, clapping our hands. Life is a I have to say, you've lifted my spirits. It's not that easy to do, and you did it. Woo! Now tell me where you get the name The October Project. Where does that come from? Uh, the, the October Project. It's, um, we, love the, we love the feeling of that, uh, the idea of October and its transitional state and project, which is kind of an organized thing. It's like, it's like the title, you know, the love song of J. Alfred Rock. You know, it's got these two facets in it that sort of reflected who at the time we, we thought we were, you know, somewhat uh, romantic and yet, you know, little organized uh, A-plus students. <laughs> <laughs> now, this broadcast is happening during the holiday season, and it seems that there's something about listening to choral music, a cappella music during the holidays. And I'm curious what your thoughts are about that. What happens during the holidays, during these dark days when we seem to be drawn to vocal music in a special kind of way? Oh, that's, you know, you, you're right with us on that thought. You know, there is obviously a great tradition of singing during these upcoming holidays especially. And um, uh, we, f we felt that these rounds actually were, are kind of a sacred, secular music that work perfectly in concert with the kinds of music that are played at this time of year. So um, I think there's something to be found for almost anyone. And from Thanksgiving on forward, really, it, it's for any gathering of, of people in community it's, it, it can be used as something that's just in the background and, and complementing the environment or something that you can listen to actively and help put you in the place where you are really um, inspired to be in communion with people. Or if your family's coming over and you really need to chill out before they get there, <laughs> you can put it on while you clean the house and you'll be in a good mood for them. It's sort of an intoxicant with no side effects. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But also, you know, when you say that, I actually really think toward the time between 
the the autumn equinox and the winter solstice. You know, there's just something about this that has to do with going into and then emerging from winter. You know, there's just like an acceptance of being in that deeper place. And and I I think when you said that, I kind of thought, because we're East Coast people, so there's cold here. You know, I know that in other parts of the country, you know, they, they never really go through that. But for us, we're very seasonal. And so, you know, just that sense of being around a fire and forming a circle of voices against the darkness, against the cold, this is a piece that does that mm-hmm. and then emerges again into joy. Mm-hmm. Now, Julie, in your introduction, when you were first talking about yourself, you mentioned that you work as a healer and a teacher as well as being a musician. And I know in reading about the Book of Rounds and its genesis, that part of what informed the writing of the lyrics and the whole creation of the Book of Rounds was the idea of bringing something that you call positive trance states to the creation of the music. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that, what you mean by positive trance states. Well, you know, my training is a great deal into hypnosis and and altering brain waves so that a person can learn a new way of being that is better for them, you know, kinder, gentler, more in keeping with their values or their creativity. And so um, I when we were conceiving the rounds, there are several areas I'm trained in. One would be energy work. Another would be language. And language both has sense, but a lot of times in hypnosis, it's the nonsense that really makes more sense and really allows us to travel into the places of mind and spirit of being where we align with ourselves. So um, I'm very interested in mantra and sound meditation and how that interfaces with silent meditation. And I was trying to weave together those elements through my you know, lyrics and, and musicianship so that if you were to really think of them as simply um, suggestions for healing, um, they're, they're meant to do that in the word and the energy and the circles of language, which circles of language are generally a wonderful way to create a trance. And by a positive trance, I mean one that leads uh, toward a healing of the human spirit, an embrace of the human spirit, and an embrace of human nature without leaving anything out in the cold. You know, there's no no part of us that, that gets abandoned or neglected or rejected. It's, it's, it's saying, welcome home. You're safe here. Mm-hmm. Now, we started in listening to tracks from the Book of Rounds by hearing the very first track from the record, Grace. And then we've listened to two other tracks, and I want to end by hearing the last track from the record, which is a song called Ready. But before we do, I'd love to hear if you were to describe the whole journey of the record, the journey through the 21 songs, how you each might describe that, your experience of the journey through the Book of Rounds. Well, maybe because in some ways, you know, I've had to hold the origin point and the completion point of that in a conscious way. Um, I tried to hold the the piece consciously and also to allow rather than force or direct the piece, to allow it to move through the way it wanted to. So we we wrote the piece before we put it in an order, um, and we decided that you know, the real journey of healing in our experience, being people that aren't, you know, necessarily at the beginning of life anymore, that probably the most important tool we could offer a young person or a person in pain or distress or suffering would be to begin with self-forgiveness, to carry that tool so that every other thing you did or thought or felt would be held in an embrace of unconditionality. So we start with grace which might not be where everyone would start, but we thought that the ability to start over would be a wonderful superpower. And then we move through different occasions where we thought soothing or comforting or support or enjoyment or delight um, would be the antidotes 
to specific experiences that people might be challenged by. And, you know, um, along with grace, um, as we move through joy, I, I believe that surrender or, you know, the place we arrive where we can accept that there are mysteries greater than ourselves, there are, you know, we come from a lineage of many people before us, many people after, and perhaps a cosmos that is just so much greater than the human experience that that we wanted to acknowledge a higher power. Um, and so it's sort of like with self-forgiveness and a higher power, we felt those would be sort of, you know, a compass from here to there in a lifetime. Let's hear the final song from the Book of Rounds, a song called Ready. When the sky is falling And your heart is broken Are the angels calling When you are
ready then? Will you be ready then? The song Ready from the Book of Rounds, 21 Songs of Grace by The October Project. I have to say, I love the name The October Project for the music of the Book of Rounds. Somehow I, I feel the quality of that depth of transformation of the change in the season and the beauty and fullness and letting go. I think it's a perfect name for what you're up to. Thank you. Thank you. As we conclude, I wonder if you would each just share what your real heartfelt wish is for the listener of the Book of Rounds. How do you hope people will benefit or experience listening to the record? There is a journey uh, in this record, and uh, it's an hour of music, and I would just hope that people would commit to it in, in, the, uh, in the way that I remember doing when I was younger and you bought a, a new and, uh, album from a cherished band or a composer and, you know, you put the lights out and, uh, you know, put the sound up and just listened uh, from beginning to end without distraction. And I think this, uh, I, I, I think the greatest thing for me would be to imagine that uh, somebody somewhere would be like the young Emil and uh, do something like that. You know, this is Marina. You know, for me, one of the great pleasures of this recording is that it's primarily a cappella, which is not an experience that many people have had. Um, I have spoken to a few people, and it, I, for me it's very common, but I think it's an uncommon experience. And I think that the joy and the unique experience of hearing, as Julie said before, only voices coming together in such a complex architecture but regard, around the theme of something so soulful is, is unparalleled. There is nothing like that communication of, of an utterance of voices carrying that sort of message. So I hope that people experience that pleasure in, to the same degree that I do. And I guess, you know, if I think there's one thread that carries through all of it, it would be the kind of love that everybody wants to feel and they want to give it and they want to receive it. It's just that, that deep, deep instinct to love is to, that this piece would make a person feel, that someone understands and someone feels with their pain and someone would still hold them and say, you're okay, it's going to be okay. I think that kind of love, the kind of love that says, you know what, you're okay. Like a mother's love, that kind of love. Emile Adler, Marina Bellica, and Julie Flanders, the members of the October Project. We've been hearing several tracks from their new record, The Book of Rounds, 21 Songs of Grace. Thank you so much for being with us on Insights at the Edge. Thank you for the gift of The Book of Rounds. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you very much. Soundstrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.